0: Good evening, everybody. I'll pray before we start. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do uh, give you thanks for tonight, for being able to sit under your word, uh, to be listening to what you have to teach to us. Uh, Steal our hearts, Lord, and help us to uh, be attentive to what you have to say to us and how you uh, would have us change as a result. uh, We pray that you help us in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Daniel started, or Dan, sorry, started off the the service today, he said, your goat. I've never heard that before, so that was good for me. What was it again? Greatest Greatest of all time, your goat. Um, I was actually um, relieved because when, um, I'll start in a second, but I was relieved that he actually picked a whole bunch of sporting characters. Every single one of them was a sporting character, so it wasn't that interesting. (laughs) Anyway, um, so what do you think about uh, when it comes to true greatness? Who comes to your mind? That's, what, that's the question Dan started us off with tonight. And maybe like Dan and I, you like sports. <laughs> um, I thought about Hus- Usain Bolt. I mean, we can't forget the guy who gave us the symbol, you know, um, built him, his, himself a name, but built a name for himself um, in running and we just sat there waiting for him to win, didn't we? Because he was just so great, so big and strong, um, a great runner. Uh, but then there's others, isn't there? I, I thought of Harry Kuehl and Tim Carhill, um, Australian football players who I think have inspired many people in Australia to get back into football, the real football. What about politics? Maybe you like politics. Are there any truly great politicians? Maybe you've got your answers about that. But maybe you'd like to consider our first female Prime Minister, Julia Gillard. Or perhaps the late Bob Hawke, who was apparently considered one of our most successful um, Prime Ministers in Australia. Or maybe you're thinking even further afield, and thinking Winston Churchill, and how he inspired so many over two world wars. Now, these people, and, and there's a number of historians in this room, and who you know, there's a lot more people out there. They've done great things, and we should look up to them for the effort they've achieved. They've achieved some really great things, um, but as we think of greatness, are these things, are the things that these people have done, the mark of true greatness? Does true greatness come from achievements we've made? When someone is stronger, faster, a good decision maker, eloquent, are these actually the marks of true greatness? Well, in a way, yes, they are, aren't they? You know, we, we, when someone has achieved something extraordinary, like these people, we stand up and take note. We, we think, wow, that's amazing. In fact, today we're going to see that Jesus actually encourages us towards greatness. He doesn't say to avoid it, he encourages it. But the way he sets out true greatness is very different to sporting and political achievements. Now, in fact, Jesus says that true greatness comes from putting others before ourselves. And whoever does this will be first. Now, as we look at Mark's gospel, we'll see that Jesus taught his disciples. How to be truly great. And that's the first point that I want to look at today. The first, and the first point is that true greatness doesn't come by comparing ourselves to others. And that's what we see in verses 33 and 34, where it says, They came to Capernaum, that's Jesus and his disciples, and when he was in the house he asked them, uh, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way well, they had argued about who was the greatest. Now, in these two verses, um, we see that the disciples are, are quiet. They're probably ashamed of, because they've argued about who was the greatest among them. Now, it doesn't say why they thought one was greater than the other. But if we just have a quick look back over chapter 9, we're going to see a few reasons for why um, they possibly could have been arguing. You know, so, Because earlier on in chapter 9, verses 9 to 13 was the transfiguration where Moses and Elijah appeared to uh, Peter, James and John. I mean, surely they had something to boast about because they were there with Moses and Elijah, even though they had to keep it a secret. Or perhaps it was uh, because some of them had been able to drive out demons or, and others couldn't. But they'd already argued about that. That was in verse 16. And then we come to verse 31. Verse 31. And maybe it was because Jesus told them that one of them was going to betray him. I don't think they really understood what that meant at the time. But it could have been a source of tension for them and something that drove them to argue. Now, all of these are a little bit hypothetical. but but, But realize that Jesus knew that they were arguing. And it's even more likely that he knew what they were arguing about. In fact, it says that they were arguing about over who was the greatest. And he knew that. And we've seen Jesus confront people in this way before, haven't we, Um, in Mark's gospel. He's done it with the Pharisees to help them understand a a point that he's trying to make or to point out the problems they had. He's been able to see what's on people's hearts before. So knowing this, he turns to his own disciples to teach them a lesson. And just like the Pharisees, well, the, the disciples are caught out this time and they're silent because of their shame. And Jesus hasn't forced them to be quiet. Rather, they decide they'll keep quiet and shut their mouth. But obviously, they know there's something wrong. They're ashamed about arguing over who is the greatest, over who would get the best seat when Jesus establishes his kingdom. Now, It's not hard for us to imagine, is it? We don't um, have a problem with trying to be great. A number of us here love going to stadiums and cheering greatness on the field as, as goals are scored, as tries are, are, are taken. And we think they're great with these, these people who clash on the field. And there's nothing wrong with that. We praise greatness when we see it. The problem here is that they were arguing over which one of them was the greatest they were comparing themselves to each other, giving reasons why one was better than the other. And this is where Jesus steps in and says, Stop. That's enough. And so I think we too need to be careful when we start to compare ourselves with others in order to build ourselves up. I read this week that in ministry, this is something that people should be careful of. Now, I don't think this is limited to those of us in ministry. I think even in the workplace... We need to be careful uh, about how we build ourselves up. When we compare ourselves to others, often it comes at the cost of putting someone else down. I think as Australians, I think we're very good at putting people down, aren't we? (laughs) And I think this is why Jesus confronts the disciples so quickly. Because for him, true greatness is so different to the greatness that the disciples were trying, to come, were trying to argue about. Jesus asked the disciples what they were discussing and he realised it was a teaching moment. And rather than saying they should not try and be great, he wants them to understand what true greatness is. And that's our next point. Where Jesus says to the disciples, true greatness puts yourself last and others first. That's what verse 35 says. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and servant of all. Well, you know things are serious when Jesus sits down to teach uh, the disciples. Um, it's, it's the pose of a teacher getting serious with the guys. Um, and you know that um, they need to pay attention. They need to know. They know that. And there are two things that Jesus makes very clear to, to them here in this verse. The first is, the desire to be great, or the desire to be first, is not a bad thing. And maybe that's a surprise to you. Um, Jesus doesn't say the desire to be first is a sin. No. He says, if you want to be first, this is how you do it. Now that says to us that the desire to be, to be first is not bad. And I think often we think of greatness as something that is bad, that we shouldn't do it, um, or we shouldn't try and be first. But Jesus says, no, try and be first. But um, But then the second part of the verse, Jesus says, well, if you do want to be first, if you do want to be truly great, then you must be the very last, the servant of all. And it means to put others first. Jesus expresses this twice so that people get it. Last of all, servant of all. Very servant or very last. However you like to, to use those, that phrase. But it's saying the same thing twice. This would have really challenged the disciples because in their culture, um, to serve would have been seen as a sign of weakness. The example the disciples would have had from, from all the teachers of the law and other teachers was that the most important people would build themselves up, ready to let other people serve them. <clears throat> they wouldn't show themselves to be doing what was meant for the weaker people. That's what have, that would have been culturally appropriate. The disciples believed that they too would be great, and trying to come to consensus, they try to work out which one of them was the greatest. But Jesus says, no, that's not the way to true greatness True greatness doesn't come by you lot getting together and deciding which one is the greatest. True greatness comes when you put someone else before yourself, when you put yourself last, very last, very servant. Now, I think we've seen uh, many of this in, in, many examples of this in movies that we see. Um, you know, I imagine that you guys haven't seen Toy Story 4 yet, so I won't spoil it for you. But um, Woody in, um, in Toy Story 4 uh, goes to jump out of, the, out of the van. Have some of you seen it? Yeah, he goes to jump out of the van, doesn't he? And he's about to jump and he, whoop, he gets bumped off, doesn't he? He's, he wants to save the spork, doesn't he? Um, now, the reason we love Woody so much, just for those who haven't seen that, is because he's always thinking of others. He's always putting others before himself. I think throughout the whole movie he does that. And that's in contrast to, you know, I can't remember which toy story it was, but when Lotso um, is, is um, you know, he, he comes good for a little bit, but then they're all going to the fiery furnace and what does he do? He's about to press the button. He goes, no, you can save yourself. <laughs> and he walks off. It's such a contrast to who Woody is in the, in, in the story, isn't it? But really, when we think about it, the best example of choosing to put others first is when Jesus gives his life for ours. He made himself servant of all so that we might be made great. And in doing this, he became greatest of all. This is what Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples. If you want to be truly great then you must become servant of all. You must be willing to die for the sake of others and this will make you truly great. Putting the needs of everyone else before your own. It means to look for ways to put others first. And I think this can be a really hard thing to do. I know that naturally I don't do this. I don't naturally want to serve those around me. In fact, I want to serve myself before I serve those around me and i think by nature most of us are pretty selfish we like to do things for ourselves things that are nice for for me to do something that's selfless to do something for someone else takes effort we need to think about it it doesn't it doesn't come naturally does it but when it does come i think it's much easier in a in a community like this we're very happy to to serve those in our community and love those people who love us. But that's not what Jesus uh, explains elsewhere about uh, community. In fact, he says, um, Jesus explains this in terms of loving your enemies and praying for those who hate you. One of the examples that I heard recently... um, from a friend who happens to be here in church right now actually um, was the, the recent times in the church in Christchurch where, where the Christians actually stood outside the church uh, outside the mosques protecting those from a very different faith to, them, to their own and here they stood people who, who probably hate them and here they are standing outside the mosque protecting these people I mean that's, that's a sign of love and, this is, and this, I think this is the type of love that Jesus expected and expects of us. That puts the needs of others before ourselves. I believe the only way that we can do this is through the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't think there's any other way. Only because of Jesus' death and resurrection can we leave behind all of our own self-ambition in order to put others first. It's the only way we can do it. So the question for us is how are you going to put the needs of others before your own? You could do this in church, in in your street where you live, at work how is it that we're going to do this? And this is what Jesus is is addressing in this part of of Mark. But before he finishes with his disciples he gives a practical example of how to be last and servant of all. And and this is the last point. And Jesus says, To be servant of all means to welcome the little children. Look at verse 36 and 37. And he took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. Now in the context of the, of the passage... The important people of society didn't care for little children. This wasn't something they did. Society said that the adult was more important than a child. Now, it's hard for us to understand how they could ignore the children the way they did. Um, Maybe it was because infant mortality was much higher and they didn't have that regard for children. Um, I don't know. Um, But they considered children insignificant. But Jesus comes as a culture changer... And so I think that's more or less what we're going to talk about the next eight weeks, actually. And he says, welcome the little children. Because when you do, you welcome Jesus. And you welcome not only him, but the one who sent Jesus, his father. Now, this word, welcome, I think is a really positive word. When we're welcomed into a family or into the house of a friend, we feel comfortable, relaxed. Loved. We help ourselves to the fridge. We open cupboards. We clean up. Uh, we enjoy each other's company. In fact, this morning we had a, a family stay over last night. Daniel and Rachel and, and their kids, and um, I was just sitting at the dining table, and Daniel just walked into the house, into the kitchen, and he's opening all the cupboards. He's looking through everything. He's like, oh, there it is." Didn't even ask. I mean, that that's welcome, isn't it? That's when we feel comfortable when someone just walks into our kitchen and just feels that they can just help themselves to anything in the house. But the importance of welcoming children can't be understated. Because Jesus says, when you welcome a child, you welcome Jesus. When you welcome a child, you welcome the Father. This brings, I think, the responsibility that we have to welcome to a whole new level, doesn't it? The disciples wouldn't have welcomed children, but Jesus puts the welcome of children on the same level as welcoming the heavenly Father that created them. Isn't that incredible? To think that welcoming a child is like welcoming the Father? I imagine if they had this in mind when they set the dinner table, things would look a little different, (laughs) wouldn't it? It's a bit like having the the Governor-General over for dinner. The role that the Governor-General holds is to represent the Queen of England. So when we have the Governor-General over for dinner, we're actually having the Queen over for dinner. That's the idea. And I think this same idea is true of our Father God. When we welcome little children, we welcome Jesus and the Father who sent him. This has to change the way we welcome children. But when we think of welcoming children, we don't generally, I would say, ignore children in our society today, do we? We've probably gone way to the other side of the spectrum where we place so much importance on children that it's a, maybe it's a little bit ridiculous in your eyes. But maybe we actually neglect others in our society instead of little children. And I think that's really the point that Jesus is trying to make here. That it's about reaching out to the insignificant person in our society. Who would Jesus tell us today? Who would Jesus tell us to welcome today to give us the appropriate expression of reaching those who are insignificant? Who would that be? Maybe it's the disabled. Maybe it's the elderly. Maybe it's the poor or the homeless. Maybe it's the awkward and the marginalised. There are many people in our society today that need people like us to reach out to them. They feel insignificant because our society has determined that they are insignificant. And I believe that it's our role to change this. One of the, um, one way that the Presbyterian Church is, is doing this, um, well, I think, is in Allowa Children's Hospital. I don't know if any of you have been there or visited there. That's pretty amazing. But, but the hospital cares for, for children with disabilities. Now, for some kids, this is, this is their home. They, they just live there. Um, but for others, it's a place where they go to give their carers some respite. The hospital exists for the sole purpose of loving people without looking for anything in return. It is solely to love on these kids um, that can't look after themselves. I mean, they're always looking for volunteers. Maybe, maybe that's something you'd like to get involved with. What we see here is that, and what's clear for us, <clears throat> is that we need to open our arms and welcome those in need. I've shown what one expression could look like um, at Alawa. However, there are many ways that we can look out for those who may be treated as insignificant in our culture. And let me finish by just recapping what we've seen today. True greatness doesn't come by comparing ourselves to others, but comes when we put ourselves last and we put others first. When we become servant of all and we care deeply for those who are regarded as insignificant in our society. This is the mark of true greatness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word and the way that it encourages us and spurs us on to think about our society and think about those around us. Uh, we do pray, Lord, that you uh, move us to action. Help us to consider who, we, who are the insignificant people in our culture, in our street, uh, in our workplace, and help us to express uh, your love to them. Help us to put them first and ourselves last. In Jesus' name. Amen.